Hi everyone, this is Carrie, and today we'll be chatting about the recent week-long meditation retreat I did um, just a few weeks ago, May 2022, at Insight Meditation Society in Massachusetts. Um, it's going to be pretty chatty and rambly, so feel free to put me on in the background as you're doing dishes or taking a walk and, you know, drop in or out based on if you find it interesting. I'm targeting this to be good for people who are either curious about meditation retreats and maybe thinking about going on one, um, people who already meditate who are curious about metta specifically, which was the type of meditation I was doing, and then also just generally people who want to hear how I'm doing. And we're trying something new today. I have my friend Claire here, um, who's here as kind of an audience surrogate. Um, so Claire, I'm hoping you'll pause me when I'm being unclear or if you want me to clarify something that sounded interesting or to tell me if I'm getting too in the weeds. And if you want to say hi and tell people about your own meditation background, that'd be great. Yeah, so I'm excited to be here and talking to you about this, Carrie, because I know that meditation has been a big part of your life for the last few years and that this isn't the first meditation-centered retreat you've been on. So I'm excited we're going to chat more, especially because I think I'm kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum from you in that I have not historically meditated much at all. I think it's the type of thing where I have a couple of times downloaded Headspace and, you know, done it for two days and then kind of dropped off. And so I have kind of always thought of meditation as something that would probably be good for me, but never had the sort of discipline or uh, focus to kind of stick with it. So I'm excited to chat more about your retreat. Woohoo. Thanks for being here with me. Um, okay. I wanted to share a little bit about my meditation background as well. Um, so I did a college meditation course called Koru um, that was a couple weeks long, and I've been interested in it for a really long time. My first job was at Medium, and we had a meditation teacher come in three times a week and lead meditation sessions for the company, which was really cool. And they also organized an optional um, company-wide meditation retreat that I went on and really liked. Um, after that, I've been on two previous week-long meditation retreats, so this most recent one was my third. And I generally meditate daily, and I'm also in a New York City-based meditation group that meets up monthly that I really love. And then I want to talk a bit about um, metta specifically, which is the type of meditation I did. Um, one that the type of meditation that I think people are more common, more commonly familiar with is vipassana or concentration. Um, whereas this is um, metta translates to loving kindness. Um, and the general gist of it is um, you're trying to cultivate that um, loving kindness um, in your heart towards yourself and towards others. And the way you do that is you say a set of stock phrases. Um, the most common ones are, may you be safe, may you be happy, may you be healthy, and may you live with ease. And you do that for yourself in a variety of other people. And you can um, customize these phrases to make them feel more right for you. Yeah, I wanted to ask too, just because you mentioned the other kind of more commonly known form of meditation, which I think is the kind I've probably been exposed to when I've looked up meditation podcasts or something. So can you explain a little bit what that is and how you came to Meta or when you were first exposed to it? And I'm also not to go too uh, in the weeds, but I'm curious do you primarily do metta now or is that like what really got you into meditation or do you practice both? Um, I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. Awesome. Okay. These are great. So um, to talk about, yeah, so Vipassana is probably the more common one. And I think that's what 
like Headspace or other apps are likely to emphasize more. Um, I think, okay, I'll kind of ramble and tell me if I hit all your questions or not, but um, I've seen criticism that like Western um, meditation is far too like hack your mind and like you'll be able to concentrate and like make better decisions and work smarter if you meditate. Um, and I think it's good as a way of um, introducing people into meditation. And for a lot of meditators, myself included, like that's the first spark that piques your interest in it. Um, if you then zoom out and look at um, Buddhism, I think that there's a whole kind of like spiritual layer and a moral layer of like, here's how we want to, we want the world to be. And is here's how we like, behave and like treat ourselves and other people in our world. Um, so it's like, it's a little bit goofy um, to think about like just like the brain boosting benefits of concentration practice, totally divorced from the um, kind of context and worldview um, that meditation um, like, I guess, originated with. And I want to not be super critical and say that um, if that's mostly what you're doing, like if mostly you care about it to clear your mind, I think that's great. And it's probably better if everyone on earth is operating with a clearer mind um, and making less like rash decisions or hurtful decisions. Um, but all of this is a rambly prelude to say that meta loving kindness is like you can see super different and like that's like kind of maybe more opinionated which is why it's um less common of an introduction and it is like um where it originated is um the buddha apparently taught meta practice um as a way as an antidote to fear um for um like monks or practitioners who were seeking enlightenment and feeling quite um, discouraged. And something else to note is that um, Buddhism is a collection of even earlier practices um, from religions that were in the area um, before it kind of got codified. Um, so the concept of metta and of offering um prayers and like good intent to others like even um predated buddhism so um it's super common i'd say tons of meditators especially in the west only ever do um vipassana or concentration practice um on past retreats i've been on that were both vipassana retreats um, there would be one hour of meta practice. Um, and then right now, um, I think I'm going to do like pretty regular meta practice. Um, and some people will even do only meta practice for um, a week or a month or a year or many years, um, whereas others will do a couple minutes of meta practice before shifting into more targeted awareness. And just to say really concretely what that distinction is, um, meta is you're um, repeating those phrases, thinking of a being that you're sending that intention to and like really focusing on cultivating that intention. Whereas Vipassana, you often have a um, focus of practice, like your breathing, for instance, um, and you're kind of focusing on noticing um, changes and um, like sharpening your awareness and understanding that um, things change and everything in life like is kind of more complex and like has more variations than we think when we tend to lump it all together as like, oh yeah, I'm just sitting here breathing when in reality, like second by second, like those sensations are changing. Um, I will also admit here that I kind of don't 
get Vipassana in that like I've been meditating for years and I feel like I haven't gotten anything all that profound out of it. Like, um, and I keep it up because I do think it like all of the brain boosting benefits I like mentioned and kind of disparaged up front. Like I do think it makes me a better, less reactive person. So that's worth it for me personally. Um, one thing I was thrilled to see is that um, metta actually works better as a concentration practice for me than um, like the noting your breath does because as I like repeat the phrases and like really think about the object of my intentions, like I'm able to like really focus in on that present moment a lot better than I can in most of my life. So actually what I think I'm going to be doing, um, from here on out for at least, you know, the next few weeks is starting out my, um, meditation sessions with, um, a, few minutes of metta practice and then going into um, general concentration. Yeah, that's really interesting. Would it just as someone who's not familiar with either of them, is it right to characterize it as Vipassana being more like sending energy inward or kind of focusing on that inward energy? Whereas when you're doing metta, you're more sending things outward. I think, feel, right? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think it's, um, yeah, Vipassana is meant to be an insight practice. So like, I think one of the points is that you're supposed to have a much keener, um, awareness of like what's actually happening. Whereas, um, Metta is the like object of it is to kind of like strengthen your capacity to care. I think one thing Metta's really good about is kind of abundance mindset. I think like often the like standard way to react to things is like, oh no, something really good happened to Claire. Like that means there's less good stuff that can go around to me when like Meta is meant to get you to see like, hey, when everyone, when one being is thriving, um, that's better for everyone else because we interact with them and we're in this whole like interconnected web. So. Yeah, cool. Um, one other thing to mention is uh, I said that on Vipassana retreats, there's often an hour of meta practice. And often um, I've seen that the men on retreats will skip it because it sounds too like soft or lame or like not what they're there for to the point where on the two previous Vipassana retreats I went on, like both times the instructor had to say like, hey guys, like we're noticing that all the men are skipping this and you really should come. Um, so I was pretty impressed to see this retreat, which was entirely meta practice, was actually one of the I think the most diverse one I'd been on. So it was roughly 20% men, um, 30% people under 50, just eyeballing, and then probably 20% people of color. Um, when I'd say like the average attendee of a meditation retreat tends to be like a white woman um, who's older. Um, though like I, there are always exceptions to that on retreats, but I've noticed that um, – Many retreat centers are trying really hard to attract more diverse um, crowds so that it better reflects our actual society. Yeah. And so you said this is the first meta, full meta retreat you've been to. Is there a reason that you went on the retreat now and also a reason why this was when you decided to do the meta, the full meta retreat? Yeah. Um, I'd say a couple things. So, um, for Meta specifically, um, the, the, like, main teacher of this retreat is Sharon Salzberg, um, who was one of the founders of, um, IMS, the center I was going to. And she's also credited with popularizing Meta in the West. Um, she has this really fan famous anecdote about 
how she was doing meta practice for weeks and it was just for herself. So every day she spent the whole day, you know, thinking like, may I be safe? May I be happy? May I be healthy? May I live with ease? And nothing was happening. And she was like, oh my gosh, what a huge waste of time. And then um, she was in the bathroom getting ready for something in a rush and dropped a heavy jar and it shattered all over the ground. And she thought, oh my God, you klutz, but I still love you anyway. And like that, but I still love you anyway, like was such a moment for her where she was like, oh my gosh, it hadn't felt at all like anything was happening, but clearly something was happening. Um, So I think... I was really interested in like, what would it feel like for me to invest more in Meta and kind of react instinctively, like more warmly and kindly and understandingly to people. So that was really compelling to me. Um, another thing is another of the teachers at this retreat is Orin J. Sofer, who um, had taught an online course I'd done a few years ago called Say What You Mean, which um, combines Buddhism and nonviolent communication. Um, so like just trying to be more mindfully aware and like being a more skillful communicator. Um, so I saw that he was teaching and I was interested, I've always been interested in Metta. Um, so I signed myself up for it. Um, and then like why I wanted a retreat now generally, um, I'm in between jobs and it felt like a really good time to um you know, go do something totally different for a week. Um, I think it's so cool that, you know, I signed up for this months ago and it's cool to be able to reserve a date in your calendar and say, something about my life is going to change like in the course of a week. Whereas I'd say like I go on vacations or, you know, do other things and sometimes they're profound and sometimes they're not. But I feel like every retreat I've ever been on has felt like a fairly profound experience. Um, so that seems pretty cool. And then the last thing I want to say is that I think it's great to put your life on hold for a week and then come back and like get to look with fresh eyes at what you actually care about, like what things you should maybe stop. Like to be totally honest, I came back and unsubscribed from a bunch of newsletters where I, I was like, you know, I don't actually need this in my life anymore. Interesting. So I would love to chat a little bit more um, later in the conversation about kind of the experience of coming back from the retreat and material or kind of emotional changes that happen in your life because of that. But I feel like maybe it would make sense first to talk about what actually happens on retreat, which I think is especially interesting for me, because I know when you've done silent retreats in the past, to me, it just in my mind is like a void where you're just silent for several days in a row. And I can't even imagine what's going on sort of within that. So I'd love to hear the structure of this retreat, how long it was, and also like if the structure differed when it was just a meta retreat versus what you've done in the past. Awesome. Yeah. So this, um, the structure of this in the past, um, the two other retreats I've done um, was fairly consistent. So the first meditation starts at 6.15 in the morning, and then the last meditation ends at 9.30 at night. So you're generally sleeping from 10 p.m. till 6 a.m. Um, you alternate um, between sitting and walking meditation throughout the day. Um, and then there's also meals and then many people sign up to do chores um, each day. And then over the course of the week, which was we arrived Wednesday afternoon and then departed on a Wednesday afternoon, like basically a full week afterwards. So in the course of that week, um, there are also daily lectures from the teachers and chances for Q&A. And then um, twice in that week, you meet with a small group and teachers so that they can check in on how you're doing and answer any questions you have. Um, one thing that people often don't realize is that you can't read or write on meditation retreats. Um, a ton of my friends have said, like, that sounds so amazing. I have so many books that I'd love to bring. And I'm like, not so fast. Like, the intention is that you're really tuning into yourself and that you're not having 
um, you're basically minimizing how much external stimulus you're getting other than like the meditation teachings. So is this, so I know just to clarify, is this, was this one technically a silent meditation also when you're talking about the Q and A's or is that like a misconception that I had that a silent meditation retreat does have these instances where you can check in with instructors and there are Q and A sessions kind of, how does that work? Yeah, I'd say it's like broadly silent. So if I think about the like seven days I was there, I didn't ask anything in any of the Q and A sessions. So the only two times I spoke were in my check-ins where I'd say, you know, here's what I've learned and here are some things I have questions about. So I'd say I spent the week probably like 98% in silence, though I was hearing like, like the questions other people had and answers from the teachers. Right, right. That makes sense. Um, I mentioned that the retreat is alternating sitting and walking meditation. And for walking, that's not like you, you know, like put on your shoes and like go on a lap around the um, lake. It's you're walking often pretty slowly, um, like pacing back and forth, repeating phrases to yourself. Um, And this on retreats can be goofy. Like it's almost like people can sometimes like performatively walk as slowly as possible to demonstrate that they're like very diligent meditators. But the point really is just to, um, it's meant to obviously give you a break and a change up from just being seated all day, but it's also good as a way of kind of integrating what you're learning and making it um, easier to transfer to your everyday life. Because in everyday life, you're not sitting on your cushion for 16 hours, but there is lots of time that you're walking around, especially um, if you live in a city. Um, So it's like, hey, can you think mindful thoughts and can you be really focused as you're like slowly walking? And hopefully that'll translate to your life a little better. And And that's- or go ahead. Sorry to interrupt. When you are sitting, just so I have a picture in my mind, are you guys, are you, everyone at the retreat in the same room? Are you sitting on a folding chair? Are you sitting on the ground? Kind of what is the situation? I don't know if that matters, but to me, I feel like I need a mental image to know sort of what the environment is like. Yeah, no, this is, this is why you're here. Um, So it is, there is a meditation hall that's like very sacred. You're not allowed to wear shoes in it. You're not allowed to bring water into it. Um, there are, there were probably like 80 to 100 meditators on this retreat. Um, so there were probably about 60 cushions um, sat out on the floor in like different groupings. Um, and it's like, imagine kind of like a sofa cushion that is the base of everyone's spot. And then people have like different configurations of like smaller pillows where they like sit in comfortable positions, sitting, um, cross-legged is pretty common, but kind of hard on your body. I tend to sit kneeling with like a, like bigger pillow under my bum. And then um, in the back, there are lots of chairs um, for people um, to like meditate while seated. And um, the teachers made a big deal of saying like, it's if at all you're supposed, if if at all you'd feel more comfortable in a chair, go ahead and do that. There's just as much insight and just as much agony in a chair as on a cushion. And one specific thing is metta, compared to Vipassana um, meditation, the practice is to do it in as easeful a way as possible where you're still focused. Um, So in Vipassana, it's kind of like, try pretty hard not to fidget or, you know, scratch a bug bite or whatever, unless you really have to, and then only do so mindfully. Whereas in Metta, it's like, you're probably not going to be as good at sending like good wishes to others if your like foot's really asleep. So, you know, like just discreetly deal with it. Um, so yeah, that's how it works. 
Um, one other thing to mention is because it's a retreat in the pandemic, we were actually wearing masks for the whole time. And I was a little apprehensive about this, but ended up like it ended up not being a big um, deal for me personally. Yeah, that's super interesting. I'm also curious, even just when you mentioned the chores and kind of the uh, aspects of daily living that also still go on. So what did you participate in the chores? Also, how does like the food and sleeping situation work? Yeah, so um, for chores, everyone um, signs up for something when you first arrive. And it's a good beginning to practice mindfulness and not you know, rejecting or like really wanting a certain chore and kind of being like, whatever I get, I get. Um, equanimity, which is another um, like value in Buddhism um, is an important thing to practice. Um, in the past, I'd done dishwashing, which is actually kind of fun and like meditative, like you're, you know, like doing big loads in an industrial like restaurant style, like sanitizing station. And I quite like that. Um, this time I signed up to um, be a bell ringer, um, which means um, there are like everyone's encouraged to wear like watches um, throughout their retreat because so that, you know, like schedule wise when you're expected back in the meditation hall after a meal. Um, but there's also a bell ringer before every um, formal sit um, who goes through the entire campus, which is kind of like three big dorms and then like a dining hall area um, and lots of rooms for walking. And you like go on your route and you ring bells um, so that people know it's time to start heading back. Um, I signed up for um, the last bell ringing of the night, um, right before our final 9 p.m. sit. Um, and that was really sweet. It felt like I was, you know, getting to say goodnight to everyone. And I was trying hard to, you know, be well wishes um, the whole time. Um, okay. Sleeping, everyone has their own, um, like, single dorm. And then there are shared bathrooms. Um, and then for eating, um, the food is always really good. It's always oatmeal for breakfast um, with some, like, Dude, fruits and yogurt. Lunch tends to be heavier and it's like some kind of cooked main dish plus a big salad. And then dinner's pretty light. It's generally a soup and some fruit. Um, it's buffet style and normally everyone sits in the big dining hall together. Um, but for the pandemic, there was limited capacity for sitting in the dining hall and then everyone else would eat outdoors or in their rooms. Um, I always like paying a lot of attention to eating on retreats. Um, on my first retreat, someone taught me to try to eat until I was 80% full, um, which is really good because in normal life, I feel like, you know, you are thinking about work or talking to someone and you just kind of shovel in food until there's none left on your plate. Um, and then I also, I really love the hard boiled egg test, which is um, there's always a big bucket of hard boiled eggs in the fridge um, in case meditators get hungry. Um, and sometimes when I'd be like, I really want seconds, I, I'd think, okay, would I eat a hard boiled egg right now? Which is something that's very nutritious, but not super like palatable. And if I was like, yes, I could go for an egg or even two, that would be my cue. Okay, you're actually hungry. Like, go ahead and get seconds. And then sometimes I think, you know what? I don't need an egg, but I could do another um, like slice of bread. And then I'd be like, Carrie, you just want bread. Like, you are done here. Um, and then the last funny thing I'll share is that um, – Another meditator, like after the retreat was done and we were headed home, um, shared this funny story of he watched one meditator like carefully like compile a beautiful plate of food and sit down slowly and look at it lovingly and then even like smell every individual component of their food. And then they like very mindfully 
prepared a perfect first bite and paused and lifted it to their mouth for like a perfect um, beginning of their meal. And then right then someone next to them started blowing their nose really loudly. And the um, first meditator looked so totally distraught. Um, so I was not there for that particular um, scenario, but it is just funny. Like you see all these things of like, you know, you're going through your retreat and like everyone's like dealing with different stuff on their own, but you can also watch like everyone else's retreats. Um, so there's this funny, like kind of communal aspect to it. Yeah. And good practice for when you head back to the real world in terms of bumping up against other people's spheres of good or bad influence. For sure. And then one last thing to mention is that um, this center, I had previously gone to once before for a retreat in February. Um, and then it was really icy and, you know, Massachusetts in February. Um, but since this was May, it was super leafy and I could go on a hike um, every morning. Um, and like, that was wild. Like once I woke up and meditated and had breakfast and meditated a bunch walking and sitting and went on a hike and then had lunch and then settled in for my afternoon nap and then checked my watch and it was 11.45 a.m. So if that gives you any indication of like how life feels on retreat. Um, the weather also was really fluctuating while we were there. Like some days had a high of 60 and some days had a high of like 95. So it was interesting watching my reactions and like all of the excuses I made, like it's too hot to meditate or it's too cold to meditate. And then being like, you know what, Carrie, you're here. Like you might as well um, do the most you can. Yeah. Well, that's really interesting because I was wondering kind of having talked about how it's all set up, what your sort of emotional experience is as you go through it, because I don't, I always think the reason that I haven't been able to get into meditating is because I'm too skeptical and resistant of things and don't, stick with it long enough to get into that flow or whatever that I always think of when, you know, you're doing yoga online classes or something. So are you the type of person where when you get to retreat, you're completely ready to just give yourself over to the experience? And does it work? I think I maybe romanticize it in my head and just imagine that Carrie goes and does this and it's all great and smooth sailing and you're just in your flow, in your um, kind of meditation mindset. But is that the reality for you or kind of where is your head at when you're on these various different days with people blowing their noses and the temps hitting 95 and things like that? <laughs> um so I okay so the start of this retreat my first day or so I was pretty panicked um because I think it's one of those things where in any hobby like to your friends you probably seem really intense but since you're in the hobby, you know a lot more intense people than you. I, for instance, for Claire, like I think of you as a very heavy reader, but then you know someone at work who reads a book a day and you're like, they're the heavy reader. So basically what I'm saying is it's all relative. Um, so I showed up and I was like, look at my teachers, like they've dedicated their lives to this. I have so many friends I know who are really intense. Like one of my pals, um, did a silent retreat for a year. So I, you know, I'm like thinking all these like grumpy thoughts, like a week's not going to do anything. And also like, who am I kidding? Shouldn't I have done something like more normal with my, like with a week of my life? Um, so like I was having all of these thoughts. The first day is also like Vipassana practice just to kind of like get your mind ready for metta. And I'm, as I mentioned, I'm not very good at that. So that was also adding to my load. I'll make a quick note by saying what I mean when I'm not very good at it is I think like one of the very basic things you're supposed to understand in Vipassana is that you are not your mind. You are not your thoughts. Like your thoughts like come from somewhere and they're trying to do something to help you in your life. But like I, all sorts of stuff will come up and you can't control it. And I think that's like 
meditation 101, you are supposed to understand that. I personally have been meditating for, gosh, like seven years now. And I still don't believe it. Like I still fundamentally am like, if I were only more disciplined or better at this, then I would be able to control my thoughts. So anyway, like it was day one, like we were just doing Vipassana and I was like, I'm terrible at this. Um, And I also... At the entrance to the meditation hall, um, there's a seated like Buddha statue and like many people like bow to it. And I that also makes me feel weird because you're only supposed to bow to it if you're a practicing Buddhist. And I don't think of myself as a Buddhist and I kind of feel weird about that always. One thing I learned in, on a previous retreat that did help me a lot is that um, – Apparently, how like Western religions like classify themselves in Eastern religions is pretty different. So in the West, you tend to identify yourself with your religion, like I am Christian or I am Muslim or whatever. Whereas in the East, um, religion isn't what you are, but rather what you do. So it's a lot more common for people, for instance, to have some um, Hindu traditions and some Buddhist traditions and like they don't feel any stress about that. And like knowing that does help me when I'm like, I do a lot of Buddhist things and believe a lot of Buddhist things, but it's okay that I'm not like self-identifying myself. I also... I always really want a really big retreat by which I mean, so in the small groups where you you and five other people meet with a teacher twice in the course of the um, week, everyone else reports on their experiences and always other people in the group are like, oh my God, I sobbed so much. I worked through this like big catastrophe in my life or like they see visions. Um and things are so clear to them. And I've never had that happen. Like I, this was my third retreat. I like learn interesting things and like feel a lot of emotions and notice them more clearly, but I've never had like an intense thing. And I asked about that in my um, small group. Like I was like, is the fact that things are intense for me, does that mean I'm not trying hard enough or not working hard enough? And um, the teacher, um, Oren, said that the Buddha said that there were four types of like journeys. Like you can have a long and unpleasant struggle. You can have a short and unpleasant struggle, or you can have a long, pleasant road to enlightenment or a very short, pleasant road where, you know, it kind of falls upon you. And he said, Gary, it seems like you're maybe on the long and pleasant route. And I was like, you know what? That's okay. Like um, a thing, another teacher, um, Devin um, said that helped me was he said retreats are like slow cookers it seems like nothing is happening and then all of a sudden it gets really hot Um, and that was helpful because like I think the whole time on retreat like the impulse is to be like now is it working like now am I totally different and instead it's like you can't tell like minute by minute nothing is happening in a slow cooker but like the difference between 20 minutes in a slow cooker and, you know, eight hours is really different. So like that was helpful for when I'd be like, eh, I kind of want to go goof off instead of doing walking meditation. Like that would get me to be like, you know, let me put myself back in the slow cooker for another hour and like see what it all adds up to at the end. Um, they do recommend that you follow the like pretty rigid schedule of walks and sits and meals for the first few days and then start adapting based on what you're noticing. So for instance, if you're having a really incredible sit and it's technically time to go walking, like you should feel a-okay to um, like continue sitting instead and like skip a walking session. That was something I was proud of um, this retreat is in my past retreats, I was really big on optimizing. Like I'd look at the schedule and say, you know, if I skip this walk and then head to lunch late, then I can sneak in a run and then have time to shower and still get to lunch. And this time I didn't do any of that. I tried really hard to be like, when the bell rings, I go to the hall. When food is served, I eat. Um, And 
that it's just a nice like counterbalance to how I am in my everyday life. Um, yeah. Yeah. And when you're actually doing the, uh, the meditation, because we were talking about the kind of elements of meta before, I'm curious about the kind of sending meta to other people, sending loving kindness to other people. When you do that, you know, it's interesting. There are certain things, this is a bit of a tangent on my part, but there are certain things about this that remind me of elements of, you know, various Christian religious upbringings and like prayer and intentions that you send towards people during prayer, like in Catholicism or something like that. And some aspects of this retreat remind me of a religious retreat I was required to go on in high school when I was at a Catholic high school. And so I'm picturing you in my head at this like retreat in Iowa that we went to. Um, but I, I'm thinking about um, when you're sending metta to people and thinking in this intentional way, are you doing it in a general way? Are you sending it to yourself? Are you sending it to specific people? I'd love to hear a little bit more about sort of what the actual experience of practicing loving kindness is. Awesome. So yeah, traditionally in metta, you're supposed to progress um, from the easiest possible person to the hardest possible person. Um, and like metta is all about ease and it's like, you're supposed to like gradually take on harder and harder stuff, but you're never supposed to like start with the hardest thing. Like think of like your worst enemy and like try to wish them loving kindness. Like I think the idea is that you're building this muscle and like can progressively work your way up. Um, so yeah, traditionally you start with yourself though. Interestingly, a lot of people, in my small group express that they find it really hard to send meta to themselves because they're like, I'm such a terrible person. I've done bad things or I've had bad thoughts and they prefer to start with someone else. I have no trouble with it. Like I think I'm awesome and good things should happen to me. And I think, you know, like I want good things to happen to everyone. So in some senses, I think I've already internalized more of the like meta mindset than um, maybe the like average practitioner of, at this retreat had. Um, so anyway, you start with you or a benefactor, someone who's helped you out. Um, often people will do pets um, who are great at unconditional love. Um, then you've progressed to a dear friend, then a neutral person, which is someone you'd see pretty regularly, but don't know all that much about. Then a difficult person, um, and then you are supposed to end with sending metta to all beings everywhere. And in the course of a practice, um, you're supposed to always start with yourself so that you can feel the changing relationship you have with yourself. And then you're always supposed to end with all beings everywhere for a sense of expansiveness. And then what you do in between, I think it'd be rare to like get through everyone because you probably want like 10 to 20 minutes on like someone so that you can like really focus on them and send that intention. Um, so instead, you might choose like, hey, I'm only going to work with a benefactor for the next few weeks, or I'm only going to work with a um, difficult person for the next few weeks. So we were pretty encouraged for each of these categories on retreat. We were encouraged to stick with one person. A common thing is people are like, but I have so many friends or like, but I have so many difficult people I want to work with. And something interesting here, they're kind of the paradox of meta is that you have to like really believe and like intend for this to go to that person. Like the intention is what you are cultivating. But at the end of the day, it is working on you. And it's not like, oh, if I don't send Claire meta today, like she's not going to have a good day. Like the point is, like, if I send meta to our friend Amy instead, like, that's going to make me a better person and like put better energy in the world. And like that will benefit Claire too, like somehow or some way. Um, I don't know if I'm doing a good job of explaining that, but that's kind of like the like fundamental, like sleight of hand that you have to do. Um, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, I will say um, like, lots of the meta cues is 
um, that you're supposed to feel warmth in your chest, like as you're radiating out these good thoughts. And I asked um, one of my small group teachers, I was like, great, I can consistently feel this warm feeling as I'm doing this. Like, what is the next step? Um, should I try to make this warmth more intense? Should I try to sustain it longer? Should I try to get to it faster? And he was like, no, 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 Carrie. Like the warmth is totally a byproduct. It's wonderful when it happens and you should enjoy it. Um, but the point is actually the cl clarity of your intention and the focus. Um, which was a useful reminder slash redirect, but also kind of discouraging because it feels too easy. Like it feels like there should be a level two and then a level three, like challenging thing. Sharon mentioned that like when people learn about meta, like they like kind of expect to start meditate or start, sorry, start levitating or something because like they want to know that it's working. And the way it's working, the way you know it's working is that you are different and better to your like family and loved ones and like everyone in the world which is frustrating but like I think it's like I just have to accept it um I mentioned that one of the categories you're supposed to work with is the neutral person I'll quickly say the aside that the structure was every day of the retreat we worked with a different person so we started with ourselves and benefactor and so on um, you can go for like months long retreats only working on one person like Sharon had done months just working on herself. And we were really, um, they really recommended that we stick with one person per category for the retreat so that you would focus instead of like flitting around and sending it to everyone in your friend group. Um, anyway, back to the neutral person. Um, I actually found this really challenging to do because of the pandemic, and I was quite sad to see that. Um, in the past, it likely would have been some of my more distant coworkers or the building security guard or even like people in my neighborhood. Um, but I've been working from home all pandemic and like our grocery store, like I go to, it's too big and I go to too inconsistently. Um, so I don't have any like normal, like, like cashiers that I see. So I finally, I really thought about it and finally landed on the guard at my public library. Um, and apparently one of the benefits for the neutral person is like, this is the time when you can most clearly see meta working because the next time you see them, you just feel like such a huge, like rush of emotion and warmth. And I did find that to be the case. Like I was like, oh my gosh, um, like when I got back from my retreat and the next time I saw them, I'd totally forgotten to expect this reaction and then saw the guard and was like, wow, you know, it seems like they're doing really well. Um, one anecdote that Sharon taught us is like, it's very common for people to say like, you know, it's not working. My, I'm picking a neutral person and nothing's happening. And sometimes they'll have picked a neutral person who's someone else on their retreat. And then one day Sharon will get a note that's like, my neutral person wasn't at breakfast today. Can you go send someone to their room and make sure they're okay? And Sharon's like, yeah, sure, your meta isn't working and you don't care about your neutral person at all. Like, it's amazing, like, how quickly we develop the capacity to care. Yeah. I, or go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. I was also going to say maybe two more thoughts. One is I mentioned that the stock phrases are in English. I played around with saying them in Chinese, um, which is the first language I learned to speak. And I liked it quite a lot because it felt like very like parental and authoritative, which is how I, what I associate with Chinese. Um, so I like trying to do that with myself. Um, again, with the phrases, it is very much like personalize them to make them work for you, but don't spend too much time like being like, here are my phrases for Claire. And then I have a totally different set for other people. Like, I think you're supposed to try to strike the right balance between like ease and your ability to actually focus. Um, and then also like do what you need to do to like make them feel real and appropriate. Um, 
And then I also wanted to mention for my difficult person who I'm not going to name, I think there's like a 2% chance they'll listen to this. Um, I love them very much and um, things can be difficult. Um, This is a distant family member in case that reassures any of my listeners. Anyway, I was able to see that um, a lot of our interactions and like the strain we've had it isn't actually like their fault or maliciousness on either of our parts. It's just like kind of all of the like forces in the community around us. Um, And I was thinking like I was on one hand, like I was like, you know what? I'm really glad I chose this person as my difficult person. I feel like I get them better. And like part of the point of meta is like, may you be safe, happy, healthy, and at ease. Like every person deserves that. Like that shouldn't just be reserved for your friends or your partner. Like everyone, like every being should get that and the world would simply be better for it. Anyway, it made it easier for me to humanize them and to be able to say, just as I want all of these good things for myself, you want this for you too. And we do have a lot in common. So I was like, I kind of spent a week on this realization. Would it have been faster for me to just do this in therapy and like talk about this strained relationship for like 20 minutes and get to a similar conclusion? I don't think that's quite fair because I have been um, in therapy and I don't think I ever would have brought up this family member because I'd say our relationship is maybe one of the top 20 things on my mind, but it's never been one of the top five things on my mind. Um, So I don't know that I have anything profound here to say, but just like thinking about how meta is and is not like therapy. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I think it's helpful to give, you know, listeners and friends who maybe don't have a sense of what the actual experience is like. I think those examples were definitely helpful for me. And I think very um, sweet. And um, I don't I don't know, I, I really like all of the ideas around this. Um, and I'm curious, too, as we're kind of um, coming towards the end of your retreat, and also the conversation when you're talking about the kind of slow cooker experience of the retreat. I'm I'm curious sort of what it feels like to feel those meta changes and sort of what you feel like, um, you know, towards the end of the retreat versus at the beginning of the retreat. And when you start to kind of feel the heat of the slow cooker kick in, uh, you know, to continue that metaphor. Yeah, totally. Okay. I want to say, um, some observations I had of myself. And then also there's some stuff from the small group that I was in that like, I think are just great examples of how this can change other people. One thing I noticed for myself was in the beginning of the retreat, I was hyper aware of everyone around me and who are they and like, what do I think of them? And then like towards the end of the retreat, I'd say actually in the middle of the re- of the retreat, I mellowed out and like would notice someone and instead of being like, oh, I've seen her before or where does she normally sit in the meditation hall? I would just, you know, zap out some meditate, some meta at her and say, you know, like, may you be safe, may you be healthy and like carry on with my day. And towards the end of the retreat, like, I think it's like, the retreat is a process of like turning more and more deeply inwards to the point where I didn't care who was around me. Like I sense another presence walking past me in the hall and I wouldn't even look who it is. Like I would just like send the meta and it's almost like it doesn't matter um, who it is. Like I want all these good things for you. Um, I'd also say, okay, so from my small group, um, Okay, all of these are supposed to be confidential, so I hope it's okay. I'm saying these like generalizable learnings, and there's no way you could possibly like trace them back to anyone who um, said them. Anyway, one person shared that when they're doing meta for themselves, um, their normal stock phrase is, may I love myself exactly as I am? And they noticed in the course of the retreat that changed into, may I continue to love myself exactly as I am? And this person like thought it was such a beautiful gift that the word continue got inserted in. And like 
that realization was that they went from endeavoring to love themselves and to a point where that had in fact happened, which I really loved. Um, another person said that they had lost their practice in the course of the pandemic. And it was quite instructive um, for me to um, hear how the teacher responded. Um, so the teacher, after this person claimed that they had lost their practice, um, the teacher said, I don't believe that. Um, are you telling me that you didn't have a single moment of awareness all pandemic? And the person said, no, obviously not. I was aware at times. And the teacher said, aha, so you have lost your formal sitting practice. You have still practiced in different moments, but it just isn't the way um, it used to look for you. Um, I learned from that that kind of the meaner or more hurtful a thought you have is like the story, like I used to be a great meditator and now I've totally lost my practice. If it's really mean and extreme, it's not that likely to actually be true. And this reminds me, there's like a cool list of 10 cognitive distortions um, that I think is like the basis of um, CBT um, therapy. Um, I used to memorize that, have those memorized and like would like rehearse them in my mind at the grocery store or whatever. And I want to go look them up again. Um, and then maybe the last thing to share from the small groups is one new mother mentioned that um, when her child wakes her up um, early in the morning, like she wants to go take care of her child, but then also feels so sleep deprived and feels really bad about it. And the teacher said that she should pause and acknowledge like, hey, I do need sleep. I didn't get enough sleep and more sleep would be good for me. But then actively choose like it is my choice to then go out and um, take care of my child because I value being a great parent and, you know, providing like comfort and safety or whatever to my child. Um, and like the generalized principle, even if you don't have kids, is like, the less you feel like, oh, I have to do something and more like being able to acknowledge, hey, this sucks, but um, I am choosing to do so because I value like X other thing um, I thought was really great. And I'm trying to do um, more of that in my life. Um, okay. I'll like go back and answer like more of your question of what it felt like to end the retreat. Um, one thing is I, I'm pretty proud I did a better job of not leaving before the retreat actually ended. I remember on my first week-long retreat, the minute it hit three and a half days, I started freaking out. I was like, the retreat's halfway over. Like, I still am not totally changed. I have so much work when I get back. Um, this time... I was probably really in it until the day before. I did spend some time like daydreaming about my upcoming move and like thinking about what vacuums to buy and, you know, just like useless stuff like that. Um, and I also, I'm planning on throwing a picnic soon and like mentally wrote the email invitation for it, which is not what you need to do on retreat. But anyway, I feel happy that I was like mostly there in the saddle until I actually had to go. Um, I'd say, um, one of, uh, two of the things that I remember from like the end of the retreat, one of them was on, um, Tuesday afternoon, um, which was about 24 hours before the retreat ended, we were invited to do wise speech practice. Um, so, um, this was led by Oren, who I'd previously done his online class on mindful communication. And so it was really cool to do it in person. Um, this was you paired up with someone and first you just made eye contact and noted in your body how it felt. And then you practiced telling each other some stuff like introductions and like seeing how that felt. And after a week of basically not speaking at all, I was shocked at how totally intense. Um, it was like, it, you know, it felt like my heart rate was like spiking, like everyone got really sweaty. Like 
it just taught me that like we're inherently like very social creatures who are like so tuned in and like always leaning into what another person has to say. Um, and um, Oren had given the option to skip that practice, um, which when he first said that, I was like, are you crazy? Like, it'd be wonderful to do this practice. And then after it ended, I realized like, oh, I see why someone would have skipped it. Um, it really, as soon as we started talking, it kind of took me out of the inward focus and like um, retreat mindset. And then it felt really like, okay, you are going to be home and in society like quite soon. So in future retreats, I'm toying with the idea of skipping um that like guided getting you back into reality land. Um, one other thing was the teachers closed with a really beautiful forgiveness practice where they said, you know, like we're here because we care so much about this tradition, but you know, in the course of a week and all of our comments, it's possible we said something that hurt you. Um, so any way that we hurt you intentionally or in unintentionally in word, thought, or deed, like we ask for your forgiveness. We offer our forgiveness like wholeheartedly to you. Um, we hope that you forgive each other for anything and seek forgiveness for any way you might have inadvertently hurt someone else. And we also hope that you ask for and give yourself forgiveness. Um, and I like really teared up at that. Um, especially forgiving myself, like is a really tough thing for me to do. And just generally, I thought that was a like beautiful way of nurturing this community. And like, it was a really sweet um, ending to the retreat. Um, once I got home, I realized that I generally felt less panicky and more accepting of, you know, like life will unfold the way it wants to. There's a lot of stuff I can do and there's a lot of agency I have, um, but less sweating of the small stuff. I called my mom the day after um, and she said that I sounded really calm. And it also felt like, you know, if anyone wants to ask a favor from me or tell me they screwed up, like, now is a very good time to talk to me because I'm just so chill about it all. And um, I, maybe two more thoughts. One is I could more clearly see what stories I was telling myself. Like I was talking to my boyfriend the night after their retreat and I was noticing that I felt very comfortable sharing stories but then felt less comfortable when I was listening to him tell me about his week. And I noticed I was like, oh, I haven't had to remember very much in this past week. And I'm worried that I'll forget any of this um, and then like seem like not a good listener later on. Um, and then I was able to mention this to my boyfriend and he was like, what? No, you know, like we're just chatting. I don't expect you to memorize this. And I was like, huh, it is interesting that I was putting myself so much pressure on myself to like remember everything. And I don't know where it came from, but I think it was cool that I was noticing that. Um, and I'd say often people leave, um, retreats with a long list of obligations. Like I will continue waking up and meditating at 6am every day, or I'll continue doing this, this, and that. And I left instead with like invitations, like some stuff that, um, I am interested in trying to continue, um, such as we did a lot of mindful movement or qigong, and um, I thought that was really good. So it's like lots of things I'd like to put in my life, but I don't have to. Um, oh, and then like one other bonus thought is um, one of the big themes of the retreat was gardening and how it's like you should plant seeds and tend to them earnestly, but then what happens like isn't fully in your control. Um, and I really like that metaphor. I think we tend to think of our lives as like we're the architects and like we decide how things go and we build things up. And it's like, nah, dude, like in reality, you're only ever the gardener and you can try and you can be skillful and research and things like that. But there are other forces at play, too. I love that. I love that idea and metaphor. And I feel like that is something I will take away and carry with me from this conversation. 
but this has been really wonderful to talk and hear more about this retreat, which I feel like we had talked about, but I feel like I have a much deeper understanding of it and appreciation for it. And I always just appreciate you sharing um, these types of experiences so that, you know, everyone can maybe learn a little bit from it, even if we're not all going to um, a week-long meditation retreat. But are there any final thoughts that you wanted to share about this experience or kind of plans for retreats in the future or anything like that before we hop off? Yeah. Um, one thing to say is I love like helping be a retreat Sherpa for friends. So if you're contemplating it or also just trying to figure out what to do with your meditation practice, like I love helping people like research and figure things out. As for me personally, I'm currently on a cadence of doing a week-long retreat every other year. Um, I um, maybe will keep that up. I feel like that's 1% of my life and that maybe feels like not too much of a commitment. Um, We'll see uh, where this practice takes me, um, but I appreciate you asking that. And I wanted to throw it back to you. Um, is there anything else you wanted to ask me before we go? I don't think so. I feel like you've covered so much, but it's been great to hear more about it and to get a better sense of all of it. So I appreciate you taking the time to chat about it. Awesome. Thank you so much for this, Claire. Thank and you, Claire. thank you everyone for listening. Till next time.